runs the engineering office from his throne in the center of the room. One wall is covered in instruments. The other is a long stretch of windows overlooking the moon pool at the heart of the ship. A door at one side of the window wall provides access to a steel mesh catwalk fifty feet above the pool. Here in the office, the noise of the hydraulic stabilizers isn't quite deafening. There's a loud mechanical whine and a vibration they feel through the soles of their boots, but the skull-rattling throbbing is damped to a survivable level. The drilling tower above their heads lowers the endless string of pipes into the center of the pool at a steady six feet per minute, day in and day out. Steve tries not to look out the window at the pipes because the effect is hypnotic. They've been sliding smoothly into the depths for many hours now, lowering the grab towards the bottom of the ocean. The ship is much bigger than the grab that dangles beneath it on the end of three miles of steel pipe, but it's at the grab's mercy. Three miles of pipe makes for a prodigious pendulum, and as the grab sinks slowly through the deep ocean currents, the ship has to maneuver frantically to stay on top of it in the six-foot swells. Exotic domes on top of the vessel's bridge suck down transmissions from the Navy's transit positioning satellites, feeding them to the automatic station-keeping system that controls the ship's bow and stern thrusters, and the cylindrical surge compensators that the derrick rests on. Like a swan, it looks peaceful on the surface, but under the waterline there's a hive of frantic activity. Everything, the entire 400 megabuck investment, ten years of company black operations, depends on what happens in the next few hours, when they reach the bottom. Steve turns back to his TV screen. It's another miracle of technology. The barge has cameras and floodlights, vacuum tubes designed to function in the abyssal depths, but his camera is flaking out, static hash marching up the screen in periodic waves. The pressure, tons per square inch, is damaging the waterproof cables that carry power and signal. This is shit, he complains. We're never going to spot it. If... He trails off. Good time Norm at the next desk is standing up, pointing at something on his screen. There's a whoop from the other side of the room. He squints at his screen, and between the lines of static, he sees a rectilinear outline. Holy... The public address system crackles overhead. Clementine, crew, K-129 on screens 2 and 5. Range approximately 50 feet, bearing 225. Stand by, fine thruster control. It's official. They've found what they're looking for. The atmosphere in Spook City is tense but triumphant. We're there, announces Cooper. He smirks at the hatchet-faced Brit in the crumpled suit who is smoking an unfiltered camel in clear violation of shipboard fire regulations. We did it. We'll see, mutters the Brit. He stubs the cigarette out and shakes his head. Getting there is only half the struggle. Nettled, Murph glares at him. What's your problem? He demands. You're messing with something below a thousand meters, in strict contravention of Article 4, says the Brit. I'm here as a neutral observer in accordance with Section 2. Fuck you and your neutral status. You're just sore because you guys don't have the balls to stand on your waiver rights. Cooper gets between them before things can escalate again. 
Cool it. Murph, how about checking with the bridge again to see if there's been any sign of the commies taking an interest? They'll twig when they see we've stopped lowering the string. James? He pauses, grimaces slightly. The Brit's alias is transparent, and to a company man, borderline insulting. Cooper wonders, not for the first time, why the fuck does he call himself that? Let's go take a hike down to the moon pool and see what they've found. Suits me. The Brit stands up, unfolding like a stick insect inside his badly fitting grey suit. His cheek twitches, but his expression stays frozen. After you. They leave the office and Cooper locks the door behind him. The Hughes GMDI ship may be enormous. It's bigger than a Marine Corps assault carrier, larger than an Iowa-class battleship, but its companionways and corridors are a cramped grey...